All right, grab your Bibles, and we want to just continue to worship the Lord through the study of his word today. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 11, and uh, if you're visiting with us, whether in person or online, we're so glad that you're here, and if we can help you or serve you in any way, please let us know. We really would love to do that. And uh, we've just kind of been working our way through the book of Nehemiah this fall, verse by verse, section by section, and um, looking at how do we take new ground for God's glory? How do we live a life as individuals, as a church, as a people of God? that are pressing forward and doing more and looking to expand his glory and his kingdom um, in very many ways. And so um, the last couple of weeks, we've been looking, drilling down on the idea of worship. What's it look like to have a life of worship before the Lord? And today is going to kind of bring all that to a, 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 a um, kind of wrap all that together, looking at how do we worship with joy? Because ultimately, that's what God wants for us. That's what God's plan is for us, is at the end of the day, all of this is leading us to joy in him and in the gospel and in his word. And so we're going to look at that today. And so as I was thinking about that, I was just thinking back um, kind of ironically maybe through this last year, I think we can probably all agree that 2020 has just been a straight up joy killer. Anybody else feeling that? Like, right? Like this just seems like everything, it just kind of keeps cutting stuff out. People have had to, you know, miss weddings. Um, People have had to miss graduations and proms. Um, We've had holidays and birthdays without family members and without friends around. Um, We've missed, you know, concerts that were supposed to come in. We have missed sports seasons, whether that be playing in sports or watching sports or a combination of both. And now, on top of all of that, I can't even go get a Five Guys burger because, like, oh, they're even shutting down the restaurant at this point. Like, they're just taking all the joy. Coronavirus is sucking the joy out of life, it seems like. And I think because of that, we see a lot of people really struggling right now with depression, anxiety, anger, worry, and they just just feel the weight of all of that. But what's been most interesting to me, I think, is that how all of this has just put a spotlight on where we really find our joy. Because when things start getting ripped away, when things start getting pulled out from your life, and you start to miss them, and you start to feel the absence of them, you're like, wow, maybe I put a lot more joy and a lot more of my, myself into that than I realized. And sure, it's not, bad to, it's not bad to miss things. Please don't, this isn't a guilt trip, right? Like, it's okay to miss not getting to see your family on a certain day. It's okay to, to miss the loss of some special activity. Like, that's not a bad thing. But as Christians, even when we lose those things, we should not ultimately lose our joy. Because our primary place of joy is not in those things. Right? No matter what is taken from us in this world, we have one thing that can never be taken from us. We have one that the Bible says never leaves us nor forsakes us, And he fills us with joy way beyond anything else that this world has to offer. At the end of the day, if we have Jesus, then we have joy. That's what worship's really about. And that's what we're going to see in this passage today, is that a life of worship fills me with the greatest joy. It's not wrong finding joy in some Cardinals baseball, right? It's not wrong finding some joy in some Reese's Pieces or some sweet potatoes, all right? We got Thanksgiving coming up. Like, there's nothing wrong with finding joy, but our greatest joy doesn't come from any of that. It only comes 
from our Savior, Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, let's take a look at chapter 11. I'm gonna, we're actually going to cover two chapters today, 11 and 12. A lot of ground to cover. You're going to see why in a second. I'm not going to read all of it word for word because we've got a lot of names, um, and that would be brutal for me and for you, okay? Um, but I can give you the reason the names are there. I can give you the reason, and I can give you the, the understanding of what we're doing without having to read all those. So I'm just going to read uh, kind of in between that for the most part, and I'll fill you in as we go. So chapter 11, verse 1. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring out of the ten, out of ten to, I'm sorry, cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem, but in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah and of the sons of Benjamin. And then they start to go into this first list. And it says, of the sons of Judah, and it lists all the ones from the line of Judah who are going to move into Jerusalem. Okay? Then you get down to chapter, verse 7. It says, and the sons of Benjamin, here's all the line of Benjamin that are going to move into Jerusalem, into the city. Then verse 10, you have of the priests, they're moving in. And then of the Levites, here the Levites are going to be living in the city. And then the gatekeepers in verse 19. And then you get to verse 25, and they're done with the list of all those who are moving into the city. And now they start to list all the towns around Jerusalem where the other nine out of the ten people are going to stay. All right? And so it lists all the villages and towns there around Jerusalem in verse 25 through the end of chapter 11. And then we get to chapter 12 in verse 1, starts a third list. This is a list that says, in verse 1, these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel. And as you keep reading through that list, what you see is it actually is tracing the lineage, the heritage of all the priests and Levites back through the generations to show that they are the legitimate priests and Levites who are going to be leading the people in worship here in just a few more minutes. Okay? So you've got three kind of different lists here that we'll talk about in just a second. But from all that, the first thing I want you to see about joy is this. Point number one, find joy in the people of God. The first place we find joy in our worship should be in the people of God, in one another. Look here in verse 1, it says, chapter 11, verse 1, leaders lived in Jerusalem. Now, that word lived there in our translation is a little bit misleading. If you look at it in, in the original text, it's really talking about more that they settled in Jerusalem. So this is like a, a, a fresh move. It's not like they already lived there before. Like they are going to live there. They're moving into the city. The leaders were the first ones to lead by example and to move back into Jerusalem. But even when the leaders moved in, there still wasn't enough people in the city. They still needed more. So it says they cast lots to figure out who else would move in. Now, we don't really cast lots anymore. Uh, you know, the closest thing we do into casting lots can get you in trouble. So don't do that. Um, but back then, they would use lot casting at times to discern the will of God, to discern the voice of God. They didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside them like we do. They didn't have the printed word of God that they could read and turn to for wisdom. So a lot of times they would cast lots in order to figure out what God wanted them to do. And so here they cast lots in order to pull one out of ten people from the surrounding villages to go live in the city of Jerusalem. Now, the reason that Nehemiah is doing this is this actually points all the way back to chapter 7. So there was a problem, if you remember, back in chapter 7 that never really got fixed. And that was that the, the walls had been rebuilt, the temple had been rebuilt, but there was nobody living in the city, and so it was still defenseless. 
Like it still couldn't hold its own because there was nobody there. And so now they're casting lots to bring a tenth of the people to live in Jerusalem so that they can defend the city and so they can carry on the worship acts of the city, which was the whole reason we rebuilt the city was for the worship of God. That's why they call it the holy city throughout this little section here. So Nehemiah moves one-tenth of the people from the surrounding towns into the city, but then it says nine out of the ten stayed in the villages. Why are they staying in the villages? Because somebody has to farm. Somebody has to like do the farming and, and till the ground and all that so that they can feed the rest of the nation and support everybody else. So just because they didn't move in Jerusalem, they were still doing their part. They were just doing it in the villages, right? So we got one-tenth in the city, nine-tenths in the surrounding villages. But then it says this phrase. It says, and the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. So I did a lot of reading on that this week because I couldn't really nail down, and honestly, most people aren't exactly sure. If, does that mean that there was a separate group of men who were, before they cast lots, said, you know what, you don't, I'll, I'll go anyways. I'll just, I'll just voluntarily go. And, and, or is this meaning that after they cast lots, that the people said, the people who were chosen by the lot casting were like, yeah, great, we'll go. And they were voluntarily or willingly going because they believed that was God's will based on the casting of the lots. So we're not sure which one of those it quite is, but it really doesn't matter because the point here is their hearts were for the Lord. They were willing to go sacrificially move to a new city regardless of how that all kind of played out. And just think about this. You're moving into the city. That means a new city. That means having to rebuild a new home. It means a new lifestyle. It means developing new friendships because your friends in your villages might not be going because there was only one out of ten. You're going to be away from your family. There was a lot of sacrifice that was required for them to do this. And that's the emphasis here is that they willingly gave that sacrifice for the Lord in moving there. And because of that, notice what happens here. It says the people blessed them. In other words, they rejoiced over them. They rejoiced that they were willing to sacrifice, that they were willing to serve the Lord in this way. And they found joy in the fact that these fellow Israelites were willing to serve and to do what God had called them to do. To bring honor and worship back into the holy city. So this is kind of the move, and then they go into, again, these kind of lists. And the first list is the people that were moving back into Jerusalem. That's verses 3 through 24. Then you have the list of all the towns surrounding Jerusalem where the remaining people were going to stay and support the work, verses 25 through 36. And then those family lines of the priests and the Levites in the beginning of chapter 12. So the big question, and I've kind of barely touched on this the last, you know, throughout the series, but I want to kind of nail down something more to this morning. So when we come to these kind of lists in the Bible, like the big question always is like, why are they here? <laughs> like, why do we have all the lists with all the names? And like, what's the point, God? Like, why am I reading this, right? And so I think there's kind of five main reasons that God includes lists like this in the Bible, specifically these lists, but then you can apply this to other lists in many ways throughout, especially the Old Testament. So let me kind of just give you these five reasons. Maybe this will help you as you're studying God's word in the future to understand like, why, why is this here? So, why lists of God's people? <laughs> Number one, to prove historicity. One of the reasons God includes this in here is because he wants to show that this was a real thing that happened with real people. And so a lot of these lists that you'll find throughout the Bible, you can actually then go and compare those lists to other lists of historical records that are outside of the Bible and see that they line up. And when you see that the historical accounts line up with what the Bible says, it raises the legitimacy 
of what the Bible says in those who maybe don't believe in God and that it's his holy word, but at least it's a real historical document at that point, right? So it, it raises up that historicity of the Bible, the legitimacy of it. Point number two, the second reason is to promote order. One of the things that we see all throughout the Bible is that our God is a God of order, a God of structure. And lists like this or lists of laws or lists of orders of how to build certain tabernacles and things, like all that is God showing, like, listen, there's a way I want things done. There's an order and a structure to that. And it allows us to understand who God is more and then also to follow him in that. And it's good for his people, his church, even today, we thrive in order. We thrive with good systems and structures and planning and intentionality. And God is honored in all of that. And so we work hard as the people of God to follow him in an orderly way that raises up his glory and fulfills his kingdom. Number three is to preserve legacy. Part of this, especially the priest and the Levite list, is just kind of them remembering their spiritual heritage, their spiritual legacy. Like, listen, we are the people of God. Like, look, we can trace this all the way back to where God chose our great, 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 great grandfathers to be his people. And so we now have a purpose. We have a calling. God has, has brought us to this place for this work because we are his people. It's remembering that legacy, that heritage that came before. That's the reason the church still exists today. We're not just doing this because it's a fun social thing on Sunday mornings. Like we are here as a part of a spiritual legacy and heritage that harks all the way back to the first disciples when Jesus sent them out and said, go, make disciples of all nations. Build the church. And we can look back through that line and see all that God has done throughout the years and know that, hey, the thing that we're doing today, the thing that he's doing today in our midst, this isn't a new thing. This is just us adding our stone on top of everything else that God has already been doing throughout all of the generations. Number four is to prompt people. I think what's interesting here is that God uses lists like this to show us that he accomplishes his work, he accomplishes his kingdom, not just through the heroes of the faith, but through normal, everyday, ordinary people just like you and me. Sure, you have the Moses, and you have the, the Noahs, and the Abrahams, and like you have all the big guys, and they do some cool stuff, right? Like God uses them in some big ways. But those are just the high points. And in between all those high points, you have all the normal, ordinary people who are faithfully following God and doing their part and adding their little piece of the sacrifice to the kingdom to keep it going. And this prompts people like you and me to say, yeah, I can do that too. God has a place for me in the story. God has a place for me to put my gifts and my abilities and my time into work for him as well. And then lastly, the fifth reason kind of builds on that is to prove that every part matters. I think God makes a list like this to show that every person, every group, every role, every part in the list matters. It matters to him. It matters to the kingdom. It matters to the outcome. Because God uses all of it. He uses all of us and all of them 
as we follow him, as we sacrifice, as we serve to accomplish great things for his namesake. But it takes all of us coming and doing it together. And as we do it together, we get to find joy in seeing others be used by God and use their gifts to glorify him. You know, we have three girls in our house, and um, they've all got pretty involved in dance and kind of arts and creative things. And I'll just be honest with you, before we got married, before I had girls, dance wasn't my thing. I'm not sure that's like super shocking to some of you, but like, I I didn't dance. Um, I don't dance, really. I I didn't really, watching dancing, like I didn't, like it just wasn't, dance wasn't on my radar. I don't find any joy in that. But as they've gotten into it, and as they start to grow in it, and they start to really get good and, and explore their talents, and they, I start to see them find joy in it, then I find joy in their finding joy in it. Is that tracking? The same thing happens in life and ministry. There are some things in ministry, in church, that I just don't personally find any joy in, right? I'm not a coffee drinker. I would not find any joy in making coffee for the rest of y'all that need to get it under control, okay? But thank God that we have some people in our church who do. Thank God for Marilyn and for others who, they love to go back there and they love to make that coffee for you guys, not, not right now, but, but when we can drink coffee again in each other's presence, And I find joy in seeing them find joy in using their time and their abilities to do that, right? Um, you know, making all the decorations that we have for our special events and Christmas and Easter, and that's not my thing. I can't draw. I, can't, I, that's, I find no joy in that whatsoever. But thank God that we have people like Leah and like Courtney and like others that love to come together and to do that and to use their talents to worship God, and they find joy in that writing kids' curriculum and and kids' lessons and pulling all the little fun activities together. Not my thing. Thank God we have Elise who does all of that and puts it together and loves to do that and finds joy in it. Doing math and spreadsheets. No. Boo. But I love that we have Chris and we have Don and we have other people in church that they love to do that and they find joy in that. And as they find joy in doing that for the Lord, I find joy in their joy. Because if we're doing it together and we're all bringing our talents and our abilities together, we find joy in the people of God as they fulfill the purposes of God. More joy comes as I engage with my worshiping community. You want to find more joy in the Lord? You want to find more joy in your life? Get in the game. Lock arms with the rest of your church family and do it together. And you can find joy not just in what you get to do, but what everybody else does around you as well. But there's a second area of joy I want you to see. Go ahead and look at chapter 12, verse 27. So they finished the list of the, list of the uh, priests and the Levites. And then it says this. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals and harps and lyres. 
And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages, the Netophathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Verse 31. Then Nehemiah, I, brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hosea and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah and Ezra and Meshullam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah. And certain of the priests' sons with trumpets, Zechariah, son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Madaniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachar, and son of Asaph. And his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, uh, Melai, Gilai, Mai, Nathanael, Judah, and Hananani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. Then the other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshena and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate, and they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me, and the priests uh, Eliakim, Messiah, Minamin, Micaiah, Eloenai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Masaiah, and Shemaiah, and Eleazar, and Uzai, and Johanan, and Malchijah, and Elam, and Ezer, and the singers with Je- Jezrehiah as their leader. And they offered the great sacrifices that day and rejoiced for God, had made them rejoice with great joy. The woman and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. <sighs> All right, second point today about joy. Find joy in the person of God. Find joy in the person of God. So this whole scene is Nehemiah giving in excruciating detail this grand celebration to dedicate the walls, right? Verse, uh, the first verse is dedication of the wall, with, well, uh, and we would celebrate with gladness and thanksgiving and singing. So they're coming together to do this, but listen, the celebration, it's not really about the wall. You know that, right? It's not really about the wall. It's about what God has done through them in the building of the wall. Right? It's not just about the structure, it's about the God who has brought the structure together and brought his people together in the rebuilding of the wall for the city. But I think it is interesting to note that Nehemiah here, he doesn't try to make any separation between the secular and the sacred. He's not like, hey, we're going to have one you know, commemoration over here on the wall, and then we'll come over here and do a separate worship service for God and what he did. No. He sees them as completely intertwined, right? The work that God has done on the wall through his people, yeah, it's just a structure, but it's what God was doing to fulfill his purposes for his holy city. And so it all ties together. And the worship of God is just as much important for what he's done physically in their midst as what he's done spiritually in their hearts. It's all part of a life of worship. 
And so right here it says they pulled them together and first of all they purified themselves. This is important, don't miss this detail. The priests and Levites, they came, they purified themselves, then they purified the people, and then they purified the wall. Now, purification rites in the Old Testament like this were used to purge the people of any current sin in their lives in order to get them ready for the presence of God. In order to get them ready to come in to worship God with pure hearts. Because you can't worship God if sin is present in your life. Anybody pick up on that the last two weeks? Right? First, we have to do confession. Then we have to do repentance. And then our hearts are ready to come in and worship with joy. That's the gospel. Our sin that all of us have, all of us do, it separates us from God. And we can't be in a worshiping relationship with him if there's sin in the way. So we have to purify ourselves. We have to turn and believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross perfect and died on the cross for our sins. And he went into the grave, and three days later, he rose back to life to prove that he was God and to say, if you'll put your faith in me, I'll take your sin away, and I'll clothe you in my pure, perfect righteousness. And you can be right with God again. So the people here, they come and they purify themselves. They get themselves ready. They prepare their hearts for worship. And then it says, two great choirs were constructed to give thanks unto the Lord. So it is time now to get the party started, right? Like they're going to go worshiping, and they literally get up on top of the wall. Remember, the walls were like nine feet thick, right? So they create basically like two giant worship parades that are going to go around the wall in opposite directions and eventually meet up in the temple of God, the house of God, to give him worship and praise and honor for what he has done. And it says they marched around the wall, And they had the leaders with them. So the civic leaders, the religious leaders, they're all there doing their thing. And they've got the musical instruments are pulled out. And the singers dating all the way back to David, right? They got all the stuff. Man, they're all the stops. They finally get to the house of God with the parades. And they do great sacrifices because they had great joy. They gave their acts of worship. They gave their sacrifices of worship unto the Lord for all that he had done and all that he was. I love, love, love this last line. It says, their joy was heard far away. You know what that means? They were loud, right? Like they were getting after it in worship. This is why we love to sing loud here at Harvest. It's because our God is great and worthy, and the louder we get, the more people know it. Amen? And so here, they're worshiping so loud that all the people in the surrounding area, they hear it coming from Jerusalem. They're like, man, God's doing something awesome over there. So they have this really big celebration, lots of pomp, lots of circumstance. I mean, like, all the stops, they're just, it's this huge thing, and it was good. Don't ever let somebody make you feel bad for going all out in worship of God. There is never shame in great rejoicing in the greatness of our God. There's no shame in that. There's no reason you have to pull back from that. You don't have to tone it down in front of the Lord. 
We can worship him with all we've got. And this is the key right here. They were worshiping, they were loud, they were having the big celebration, but notice this phrase in the middle, it says, for God had made them rejoice. Look where the joy was coming from, right? They weren't rejoicing because of themselves, they weren't rejoicing in the wall, they weren't rejoicing in the city or the nation, they were rejoicing for God and for his glory. And their joy overflowed in worship because he was in their midst doing a great work. We need to understand when it comes to worship that God is both the source of our joy and the object of our joy. It comes from him and it flows to him. It's all about him. You know, there's... um, there's some debate and there's some maybe even criticism today in certain parts of the church at large that would say that big extravagant acts of worship, big stra- extravagant service, worship services and so forth, that those, are, that those are not right. That those are, you know, just putting on a show for other people or that those are, you know, that all the time and money that you put into that could be used for more practical things and more important things or, you know, that's just... These extravagant celebrations, that's, it's such a waste in the church is what they say. Such a waste. that God doesn't really want that. But when I look in God's word, I just don't see it. In fact, I actually see the opposite most of the time. That God not only loves big extravagant acts of worship, but he actually condones them and even commands them at times. We go back to the Old Testament. Think about when God instructed the Israelites to construct the tabernacle and then later on the temple. The detailed instructions, but then all the, the time and money and work that they had to put in to create those worship spaces for God. And they were extravagant, man. Like everything's like covered in gold. <laughs> I mean, they went all out. Why? Because in that time, in the way they understood worship at that point was that was the house of God. That's where the presence of God came down. And they were going to give everything they had to make the worship of God as big and as grand as they possibly could because he was worthy of that. I thought about King David. The Bible says, a God after man's, I'm sorry, a God after man's, a man after God's own heart. And there's this one scene, while David is already king, where he, they finally have gotten the Ark of Covenant, and they're bringing it back into the presence of the nation, right? They're bringing it back into the people. And David gets so psyched about the return of God's presence in the Ark of the Covenant. He gets so in, extravagant in his worship that he ends up doing like this dance in front of the whole kingdom, basically in his underwear. Like, I mean, he's just like over the top, like just, just all out in worship, and his wife is so embarrassed that she chides him for it. She's like, look at you. Look at you making a fool of yourself in front of all the people. Like, what are you doing? And here's David's response. I will make myself even more contemptible. Some versions say even more undignified than this for the Lord. He was all out. And God loved it. 
Okay, those are all Old Testament. All right, Michael, where's the New Testament? Okay, I'll get you. I got you. Come on, hold on. So there's this great picture in the Gospels where Mary comes to, the, comes to Jesus and she takes this, this perfume, this ointment that she had, and she pours it on Jesus' feet. Right? Now, I like a good smelling thing, as, you know, perfume and stuff, as much as the next person, but I've never put cologne on my feet. I'm just, I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. Like, that's not the place where it goes. Right? That seems like it's kind of like not the best use. But she pours it on his feet. And immediately the other disciples, they start challenging her and they start condemning her. Like, why? Why would you do that? That's such a waste. We could have sold that and used that money for the poor. Why would you put that on his feet? And here's what Jesus says. He says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. He praised Mary for her extravagant act of worship because he was worthy of it. God loves when we go all out in worship of who he is because he is worthy. And in fact, I think that oftentimes it's the most extravagant acts of worship. It's the most over-the-top kind of things that actually get the most attention from those who don't believe in God. Because they're like, man, look at that dude. Like, he is all sold out. Like, he is all in on his God thing. Like, maybe I'm missing something here. Like, look at all the joy that he has in that worship. Like, maybe I need to check that out. And our worship can actually be an attractive thing to the lost, like come and see and experience who our God is. Worship flowing from a sincere heart of joy is never a waste, but rather it's a witness to how great and awesome and glorious our God is. More joy comes as I worship a worthy God with all I have. (laughs) These people, man, this was the first time that they had experienced this kind of presence of God in years. They've been in exile. They've been away. Now the temple's back. The walls are back. We're all here together. Man, they are going all out. They're experiencing the greatest joy they've had maybe in their entire lives. Because God is worthy. And they know it. And they want everybody else to know it too. There's one more piece here about joy I want you to see. Look at verse 44. It says, On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into, into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns of, for Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. Last thing about joy this morning. 
Find joy in the purposes of God. Find joy in the purpose of God. So it says here, on that day. So on the same day of the celebration, they just had this huge worship service celebration in the temple. Everybody's on cloud nine. And on that day, Nehemiah decides to set up a work rotation. (laughs) Does that seem a little odd to anybody else? Like, really, that couldn't wait till tomorrow, Nehemiah? No, No, like right now, we need to assign to the people who are going to do the work. Why? Because the great celebration of joy was awesome. We love that kind of worship. But if the worship of God was going to keep going past that, there had to be a system. There had to be an ongoing work to keep the worship going in the days ahead. It's one thing to experience that mountaintop momentary joy of worship. We love that. It's a whole other level of worship to keep that joy going day in and day out following the Lord and serving and sacrificing and doing our part. Nehemiah knew that, and so that's what he's going after here. If I could give you a visual, think about like fireworks, right? Everybody loves fireworks, right? They're, they're beautiful, they're fun, they're, 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 they're just this kind of exquisite thing that we get to watch Fourth of July and other times, but they're just for a moment, Right? They're beautiful and they're awesome, but just for a moment. They don't last. They don't keep going. Now compare that to the crazy wildfires that we see raging on the western side of our nation at times. That are so big and so hot and so long that they're practically impossible for us to even contain them. Okay? God wants hearts of worship that are like wildfires, not firecrackers. He doesn't want you to just have these little momentary sparks of joy on Sundays. He wants you to experience an ongoing heart that is on fire with joy for who he is every moment of every day, and that happens as we walk in faithfulness to his purposes. So here it says that on that day, men were appointed. They were appointed to carry out the temple and the worship duties to fulfill the purposes of God on this ongoing basis. And it says that Judah, that's the people, rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered to them. Why? Because they were joyfully fulfilling the purposes of God. These were the men that God had raised up through Nehemiah to do the purposes of carrying on the worship of God. Now, these men, I can guarantee you, they weren't perfect. They weren't like super spiritual. They they were not even necessarily the most qualified. But they were the ones who were chosen. They were the ones who were faithful. They were the ones who were willing to do the work and to fulfill the purposes of God for the people of God. And so God used them, and the people found joy in their service. And it says, all Israel gave to the worship and purposes of God. And they gave with joy. They gave with joy because they saw a great work that God was doing in their 
midst. And the leaders blessed the people with their service, and the people blessed the leaders with their support. And together, they came and they experienced joy in fulfilling the purposes of God. More joy comes as I give my heart continually to the purposes of God in my life. If you want to have a lasting joy, if you want to have a heart that is finds joy in Christ day in and day out, moment by moment, if you want to have a wildfire of worship in your life that is raging over and over and over, you do that by giving yourself to the purposes of God. That's worship. A life of worship fills me with the greatest joy. Not cardinals, not burgers, not the new car or the new house. All those things are great. Don't get me wrong. I love those things. But lasting joy, the greatest joy, only comes through worship of Jesus Christ. And don't we all want that? Don't you want joy in your life? Don't we want, we want to enjoy our days, right? Like we want to enjoy this time that God has given us on this earth. We all want that. And the greatest joy you'll ever find is not in anything in this world. It's only in Jesus Christ. That's why we worship him. The more we seek to worship him, the more we will experience the fullness of joy in our lives. So we're just going to do that right here, right now. Stand with me. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing, and we're going to give God all we've got in joyous worship of who he is and what he is doing in our lives and in our church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for this wonderful day to come and worship you, Lord. Thank you that we get to be here in person still. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to protect us and protect our community, protect our city, our nation from this virus in such a way that we would not have to give up this time of gathering to worship you. God, this is the high point of our week. It's joy in you, God. Lord, we worship you. Lord, we want to work for your purposes with all we have and all we are. We want to do it with your people. We want to do it for your namesake. Lord, thank you for calling us. Thank you for giving us yourself. Thank you for giving us a purpose that is greater than anything that this life has to offer. Lord, forever we will worship you. You are our greatest joy. Heavenly Father, we pray this in the Son of your perfect, in the name of your perfect Son, Jesus Christ.